Hello, and welcome to the Quarantine Quartet. Thanks for joining us again. Welcome to Episode 6, Schooling in a Quarantine. Welcome to the show, Altman. Hey, guys. Conway. Yo, yo. And this week, Thomas will not be joining us. He and his wife just welcomed a new little boy into the world earlier this week. So just a quick follow-up on last week's episode. North Carolina is still on their stay-at-home orders. And the open North Carolina movement is picking up some steam and beginning to protest even more. In fact, of note, that's interesting and slightly ironic, is that the leader of the open NC, the organizer, actually caught COVID-19 the other week. Uh, But it's important to note that the majority of Americans still support the stay-at-home orders and a majority of Americans uh, are still concerned about COVID-19. I posted a link to some of those polls in 538 uh, to show you the notes so you can go ahead and take a look at those. Our main topic for this week is going to talk about how schools and districts are handling the shutdown. We are going to look at some policies they are beginning to adopt and just have an honest conversation about what these look like and the perspective from a few teachers who are doing online learning right now. Just to say from the start here, these views expressed are not representative of any schools or districts, but we're just having an open dialogue about our views specifically and some of the views that are out there. So Conway, would you give us an overview of where education is right now and kind of the reaction North Carolina has taken as a whole? Yeah, absolutely, McBride. Uh, Education as a whole is in uncharted territory right now, along with the rest of the country. Education leaders um, at the national, state, and local levels are all trying to figure out how to best serve their students given the um, challenges presented by coronavirus. Obviously, the biggest challenge being that um, schools are not meeting in person right now. So it's I think we're on week seven or eight that we've been out of school. Uh, so right around that March 14th date within that week, basically all schools across the country Um, canceled in-person classes and have shifted to some sort of remote learning uh, in most cases. Um, So the overarching or most prevalent uh, response has been um, doing distance learning. And so for most school districts, that's done, that's been some sort of transition to online learning um, where there is a combination of virtual instruction um, through live meetings like Google meet um, as well as pre-recorded instruction and then guided activities that kids can do. Uh, At some of the lower levels, um, what that looks like is like worksheets and packets of work, uh, especially for those areas that have um, a lot of students that are unable to access the internet um, and that have other uh, challenges facing them. So some districts have flat out canceled um, school and they said remote learning is too challenging. Um, We will figure out how to address this and recover when we come back to school in the fall, assuming that everything comes back normal in the fall. Um, But here in North Carolina, it's been primarily shift to remote learning. Um, So most districts had about a month off uh, from when like we got out of school to when remote learning started. Uh, So here in Wake County, um, yeah, we had I think it was four weeks uh, between when we got out and then when uh, we really geared up. Um, We had those four weeks to prepare for teachers to come up with lesson plans for us to try and get as many kids the resources as possible um, to access the online learning. So even with that, even in Wake County, um, one of the most well-off counties in the state, uh, there's still a lot of students who don't have access to the resources they need to complete some of this remote learning. 
Uh, so it's an ongoing challenge that county leaders, county officials, school officials, everybody is working to try and um, find ways to help these kids learn while we're not physically in school. Yeah, thanks for the overview there. So Altman's more specifically about Wake County. What has their reaction been in all of this and what direction are they moving? All right. So, yeah, Wake County, which is the system that uh, we all teach in. Um, so they've been very cautious about how they're reacting to the pandemic and the school closures. Um, and a big part of that is over the, you know, recently, at least the, the, the leadership of Wake County has been very focused on the issue of equity. Uh, and and they want to they want to close the achievement gap. And if you're not familiar with what that means is um, they're not saying that all kids are equal or should be equal. Um, they understand that uh, there's kids are going to perform better or worse in certain scenarios. But basically, it's the idea that, you know, for example, a low income student tends to lag behind uh, a student from a family with more prosperity. And and so what we're trying to do is is try to figure out, you know, how can we narrow this gap that that the the poor uh, schools or areas um, how can we bring them up to the level that these these other areas are performing at? Um, and so on that note, um, when they closed the schools and went to remote learning, there was a realization that, um, hey, there's a lot of students out there that, uh, and kind of alluded to this, that don't have access to uh, consistent, reliable internet. Um, they don't have access to technology uh, like a, a laptop, uh, which is what a lot of students would be using for remote learning. For some kids, uh, it's that their home is, is just a really unhealthy environment to do work in, that uh, there's some really serious issues for people in life that prevent them from, from doing, as well as somebody who, say, is from a stable household uh, with all sorts of access to technology and internet. Uh, and so with that in mind, and first of all, if you're listening and you're like, oh, everyone has the internet. No, they don't. Uh, that you probably live in a bubble if you think that, and I just made you mad, but uh, deal with it, Kevin from Tennessee. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, the point is Wake County's reaction to this is they're being very cautious. They don't want to do anything that is going to, um, I guess, leave those kids with um, a lack of access or opportunity. We don't want to leave them in the dust. We don't want to say, hey, Sorry, guys, we're going to move on while you guys stay here. And so for that, uh, specifically what they've done is when they went to the school closures and remote learning, um, basically Wake County's done a, an amazing job, I would say, trying to get resources out to people. So that's something to note. They, they sent out hotspots, laptops, uh, even providing lunches for those kids who don't know uh, where their next meal is coming from. So they've done a very good job with the practical, practicable, like get them resources. But as teachers, we were told that we can assign work for the students to do, but we can't really collect it for a grade. And again, the reason being that some kids might not be able to do that. Um, some people are going to uh, have these other distractions. Maybe they're working long hours to support their family. Um, so we couldn't collect anything for a grade, but we we're supposed to monitor uh, the growth through those activities. So when students hand something in, we give feedback. And we monitor growth over this time period to, to see, you know, are students still learning and showing that they're mastering these concepts? And so um, that's what we had been doing. When they closed schools for good, Wake County sent out some new guidelines. And, and what that, the new guidelines said were that 
basically students will have a choice for their spring courses. And that is that um, you could take it for a passing credit or withdrawal credit. Um, and that wouldn't affect GPA. Or you can keep your numeric score as of March 13th. And that would affect your GPA. Um, and so those are the two options. And it's, it's supposed to be equitable for those students who couldn't do the work um, in remote learning. This is giving them an opportunity to either keep their grade they had so they're not punished for the fact that this pandemic came uh, or they can at least get a passing credit. It's a little controversial uh, because uh, if you're a teacher in those spring courses, you realize it was a weird semester. We had snow days. We had a day canceled because of storms that came through. Uh, in high school, we had ACTs. And if I'm remembering correct, I think we only had like two weeks of full instruct, like two full weeks of instruction up to March 13th. Otherwise, it was, you know, shortened weeks all over the place. And uh, this kid is in the background really upset about it. And um, there's really not much we can do about it, though, uh, because uh, this is, like I said, the, the only fair, pragmatic thing that the county thinks they can do. So what we want to do now is we just want to have a discussion about what we're learning in all of this and kind of just talk about different sides of the story where we agree or disagree with some of decisions being made and what school looks like. There is one important thing to note before we move into this, though. It's important that either side of this dialogue has the same goal in mind. We want students to be cared for. We want students to learn. We want students to grow uh, in their education and to have a chance to move forward with their life. So we get that the most important thing in this time period is that students are cared for and that they're cared for well. But this is also a great time in education to have this dialogue about what's working, what's not working. And as the system is getting shifted because of remote learning, we can begin to have that conversation with a, a little more um, skin in the game about what's going to be changed when we go back. So let's start that conversation now. So what do you guys think? What's the first thing you guys want to tackle? Uh, given, you know, we just talked about the issue of equity. And again, as Ms. McBride, you just said, and I just want to make sure we're clear, that is a worthy topic. It is of, it's, it's so important to understand. And, and like you said, we all want what's best for our students. Uh, but the thing that, that I would say is, is I, honestly a little bit frustrating for me is that the county really seems to be paralyzed uh, in terms of taking action and you know how to move forward we, you know it is may 1st and we are still waiting on clarity we've been out since march 13th and we're still waiting and so my question is um while equity is certainly a goal that we want to pursue um is the county approaching it as the only goal uh is the rest of of the county being held back because they haven't developed a strategy for how to deal with um those who have uh, lack of access. So I don't, I don't know what you guys think about that. You know, I would say that the county has done, if we think about the needs of students, I would say the county has done an exemplary job of very quickly addressing what's most important in this time period when it comes to access to food and uh, trying to push out the access to the ability to join remote learning. I know a lot of elementary schools sent students home with packets and um, and worksheets and books, et cetera. So I, I do think there is a level where the county moved quickly. I, I do agree with you that I have so many kids who are asking the question, what happens with grades? We need clarity. What's going on? So I think there is a slowness. I'm not sure I, I'm as upset by it. 
I think um, I would prefer them take their time to make the decision than roll back a bad and rushed decision, I guess. Uh, but I get what you're saying. It, it, we seem to be moving slower because there's so many pieces that they're considering. Yeah, I just think that March 13th to May 1st is not a rushed decision. I think that uh, you know, they're leaders, and, and that's what they need to do is they need to come up with solutions to problems, um, not rushed, but quickly. Um, to provide clarity because this is this is the this is people's lives these are these students lives this is a big chunk of it um so i guess my concern is should they be more focused on developing strategy to help those um, students who have those needs but letting the rest of the county move forward uh in in giving us direction there so i think we see the the challenge even uh, like the best or not the best thought out plan, but even well-intentioned plans don't work. Um, Fairfax County Public Schools, uh, where I used to teach uh, in Virginia, um, they like spent several weeks, similar way county, building this huge platform through um, Blackboard that was going to enable them to have live classes and all kinds of additional features. And as soon as it went live, it started crashing. Um, all the, they were like, hackers infiltrating it and crashing the network and they basically had four days of trying to make it work and then they scrapped it and said all right we're not going to have learning for the next week while we try and figure out what to do next um and so it's kind of like all right well we put all this time and effort into doing that like what do we do now um and i don't it, it hasn't happened to the same like it hasn't happened at all to the same extent in wake county um but i think we've seen a lot of variation in the success that we're having um some kids have really thrived in this environment um, i would say a, a small number have really thrived in it but some of them are given them more flexibility um have like really stepped up their game and find it more in their wheelhouse than the traditional classroom setting but i think way more of them are struggling um i don't know to some extent with motivation to some extent with um lack of like in-person instruction. Um, some kids have reached out and said they, it's really tough for them to learn without um, like me being there to answer questions as we go through stuff. Uh, so just trying to figure like every kid has different needs um, and it's a lot harder to meet those needs online right now. Well, well I think that that leads into the question of, and we were batting this around, you know, what, motivates students to learn and i think we all as teachers have the idealistic answer that kids should want to learn just for the sake of learning um and i, I kind of laugh when i say that out loud um but yeah like this remote learning I, I find it a lot of kids just aren't motivated because there isn't a chance that their grade goes down they've been uh, told that um and you know this lack of a structure now i i i teach asynchronously i have the kids meet once a week uh, on Google Meet to go over questions and all that kind of stuff. But then they have the rest of the week to do what they need to do. And, you know, part of me wonders, is, is that actually uh, harmful to some of them because they don't have the structure that kids, quite frankly, need? And they don't have the motivation to, to do these things and do these things well. We're checking for growth, but a lot of these kids, you're not going to see it because they just don't, there's no skin in the game for them. I think I... Maybe I'm I'm the um, the idealist as the teacher here, yeah, but I would say that 
students can be intrinsically motivated without grades. That, that would be my argument. But I would say we have set up an education system so reliant on grades that our kids right now, that is their motivation. The grade is why they do school. We've, we've taught it almost unintentionally maybe in our classrooms and in our schools that if you want to go here, you need this grade. If you want to go on to 10th grade, you need to meet this standard. If you want to do this, you need to do that. So suddenly when kids are out of school and grades in a sense don't matter, they're saying, well, I don't actually need to do this assignment because my grade is where I want it to be or because I can just take a pass and move on to the next thing. So I, I, have, to, I have to think that students could be intrinsically motivated, but we need to shift the way we are teaching kids to think about school potentially. So I'm, I'm feeling that struggle right now of how to intrinsically motivate them because the extrinsic motivation of grades is going like kids are now able to, to kind of accept a grade, um, which means that they got the grade that they want more or less. And now it's all intrinsic motivation. They have no grade motivating them to do something. They have to want to do it and want to learn. So I've tried to, seeing that policy, um, tried to shift some of my activities and plans to make it more like uh, open-ended, allowing kids to pick things um, that they like um, rather than here's the assignment, do it. It's all right, what's like pick something from this time period, um, like, op like free choice, essentially, like whatever area you find most interesting, let's like dive into that. And you can focus your time and effort on that. Um, and so that's, that's the shift that I'm making right now is, all right, how do I engage these kids now that they have no grade motivation? Um, some of them still have great motivation because they're trying to improve their grades. Uh, but for those that were happy with their grade, trying to find ways to engage them. Um, because I saw once, once the grade policy, and I know uh, other teachers have seen this, I had about 80 to 85% participation in the remote learning. Um, before, once they announced the grade policy this weekend, or like the assignments that were supposed to have been completed this week, uh, it's dropped down to around 50%. So that extrinsic motivation now gone, I'm trying to figure out how do I re-engage those 35% of kids who now no longer need to complete the work for the grade. Yeah, and, and it's a good, like, where did they lose it? Because, Russell, you're saying your wife, uh, who teaches elementary school has no problem with the intrinsic motivation. And, and I would see that with my son, even in school that he, he wants to learn, he wants to, to keep getting better, but so at some point they lose that. And is that a product of the system we're setting up or is it just because they're growing up? Like I think about, I ask my students when they come back on Monday, Hey, how was your weekend? And they say, Oh, I slept. Or on Friday I ask, Hey, what are you guys doing this weekend? Oh, I'm asleep. You know, are these teenagers just they need something to get them going? Um, and that leads me to another topic of have we pushed the idea that every kid needs to go to college too much to the point where these grading systems are designed to get them into these colleges? And a lot of them aren't sure what they want to do. They just know that that's what they should do because that's what society says. I mean, I, I think I have to agree. Our schools are set up for a particular kind of student. This whole process is, it seems to be geared more towards kids who want to go to college on the question of where this motivation is lost. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think that's a good question. I think sometimes knowledge is power. So if you, 
try to give kids knowledge about how they can grow and when they find their passion, et cetera. Hopefully some of that motivation develops. I think we, we see it in some of the arts and some sports, right? I think some, some kids, you can see most of their passion when they're doing that thing with school that's extracurricular. That's why people are mourning sports and mourning the arts so much in this time right now is because they're so motivated to improve as a tennis player or as a football player or as a, a trumpet player in the band, et cetera. But I, I don't know. It's a, it's a hard question to answer. How do we get that back in the schools when it comes to history or math? Or would you say that you guys were intrinsically motivated in high school? I would say um, very rarely. I was, I was a great, I, a yeah. grade seeker. Uh, I did stuff for, I, I think I still, especially when it came to like history, I loved history. So I was even without the grade or the need, I read the textbook and was a nerd, but when it came to other subjects that I was less interested in, I did what I had to in order to get an A and then that was it. I would agree. I was very grade motivated at some point in high school though. I really grew into I'm a passionate learner. So I grew into the aspect of outside of school minus the grade. I began devouring like lots of different kinds of books. Wait, in high school? Yeah, but that was something that kind of in high wow. school, yeah. Man. So like I lacked all motivation except for just to not have my parents get mad at me. And and so my but my question is, I got it back. Like why do I I I, I just fill myself up with, with history um, as much as I can. Like when it comes to teaching, I am intrinsically motivated to do a good job because I want to do a good job. I want these students to learn. So I, whereas I'd say I lost that intrinsic motivation at some point I got it back. You know, as I talked through it, I wonder, is it just because we found out what our passion was and what we want to do? And so we naturally are going to do those things. But when it comes to other things, like I need, I need an outside motivator to help me do some of those things. Like when it comes to exercise, <laughs> right. I'm going to need uh I'm going to need, yeah. So it's almost like our schools are not helping our kids find that motivation fast enough, maybe. Or the way that, or maybe it's just the, or the way that, yeah, the way we set up our classes maybe is just uh, so formulaic and, and bland that it's hard for kids to figure out what they want to do. I don't know. It's a good question. I'm, I'm really good at asking these questions. You know, Conway, I kind of what you're doing now, I played around with this idea at my previous school of giving kids every Friday to pursue a passion project. There's a lot of companies that do it. They give employees 10% of their time at work to work on whatever project it, their passion is. And we've seen inventions kind of come out of that. But I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing to do because we're tied into what we feel like we need to finish. These are our state standards. And it's the idea is like, well, what if a kid has zero passion about world history? So that Friday when they're trying to figure out what they're working on, they're not interested in history. So when we give kids that time and help them find their projects, I, I do think we have to release some control of the learning from ourselves in the classroom and hand it over. So to did kids. you see, like, did you feel like you saw success when you did that passion project? Yeah, I, I think some kids really who were not as interested in some of the stuff we were working on in class, they latched on to ideas that um, that they were pursuing that they really weren't kind of latching on to the class material. You know, I think we're all hinting at this idea that at some point in someone's life, 
at least for the most part, and hopefully, that something clicks for them, that they realize their motivation, they realize their passion. And I think as teachers, we want to try to create opportunities in the classroom that that might click while they're in school, that that might click while they're in high school, that they find their passion um, in what it is. And, you know, as I say that, you know, I think that we as teachers, we play a big role also in the intrinsic motivation through relationships. I think that if a student, like I've had a lot of students who um, aren't necessarily passionate about the content, but, but they love the class. They love being in class with me. And so they learn not because of the grade and they not because they're intrinsically motivated to do well, but because there's a, a partnership with the teacher and they want to, um, I guess, um, validate that partnership or I don't know how to word that, but do you guys see what I'm saying? Yeah, I get that. I think there are, in education, you can learn a lot of things about how to be a better teacher, but sometimes teachers just have this ability to connect with yeah. students that even in a disinteresting topic or class, they have an ability to connect with their kids and motivate them to yeah, learn. Like progressivism, yeah. right? Right, Conway? Yes, I agree, McBride. Uh, some people just have a knack for um, connecting with others. Uh, you can still be like a good teacher, even if that's not necessarily your like natural ability. Um, it just means that teachers will have to work a little harder for it. Uh, some some kids respond really well to teachers who are super passionate about their subject, and then those people who are super passionate find a good way to connect with kids uh, through that passion. Whereas other people. Uh, naturally uh connect well with others and then they can use that connection to leverage um interest in topics such as history um ideally teachers are here because we love kids i know for the three of us four of us um when thomas is is back uh we the reason we do this job is not because we love history we do this job because we love the kids and we want to um help them grow we want to help prepare them for whatever's after uh, this class. And then history is just an added bonus that we get to share our passion for history on top of that. Um, and I think as long as people are committed to the kids, we will find a way to reach them and educate them. Well, um, we criticize, it's, it's very easy to criticize, um, teaching methods of the past, but look at where we are now. Um, we have a lot of very well-functioning, passionate adults who learned and grew up in an education system that's drastically different than it is uh, currently. And so hopefully through our best efforts, um, we'll be able to prepare these kids as well as we can. It's not always going to be perfect, um, but they'll come out on the other side better off than they are now. Um, and I think that's the goal. And I think that's what we should push for. We always want to do our best. Um, but know that as long as we're committed to these kids, they're going to be okay. And I think that's a great way to wrap it up, Conway. Obviously, there are a million other things we can talk about as we're diving into this education conversation. And we'll continue doing that as we we keep on with this podcast. So stay tuned for uh, following episodes. Thanks for joining us this week on the Quarantine Quartet. We will see you next week for Episode 7.